New topic? We're outside. Hi, Asipians. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. This is Hans Hansen, and wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's it's too nice for that kind of music. We, yeah, yeah, that's better. So we got the birds chirping. We'll probably have the dogs barking, uh, and really great guests, Scott Glazer, Chicago. What was that safe triangle all about? Well, it's not about much. So let's talk to Scott. Is there something else out there? Oh, there may be. What? What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, A little bird told me I forgot to mention something really important, and that's our sponsor. Thank you, Medtronic. Medtronic, this implantable neurostimulation system and the pumps that we all use, they're a sponsor. We appreciate them greatly. They have SureScan technology and MRI neurostimulator uh, access, and that's uh, for MRI scans anywhere in the body. That'll be the dogs in the background. So anyway, we thank you, and uh, let's get on to Scott. And anything you want to hear... You want to, like, maybe send it to ASIP, and we'll pick that topic up and get it out to you. We're in uh, Viva Las Vegas, and I have with me Dr. Scott Glazer. This is a Chicago uh, practicing physician who is well-known, a really great speaker, and a very experienced practitioner. Has his own practice, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Hans, it's so good to be here with you again. We need to get together more often. I, agree. I think it's once a year. Unfortunately. But you are uh, you're a phenom. I love what you're doing with these podcasts and all the IT stuff and just keep doing it, okay? But let me tell you about my practice. Very busy, opportunities galore. I'm not a smart enough businessman to take advantage of them. There's <laughs> so much pain to be treated and my goal in life is to start treating that pain when it's subacute rather than chronic. And I'm achieving that goal in some ways. I've told you about it. I get People who understand that pain doctors should be quarterbacking the pain when it starts are lawyers and chiropractors. And we get 20, 30, 40 new patients a week who have been injured in the past month or few weeks, even days. And they don't have a broken bone. They don't have lacerations. They have musculoskeletal pain and we manage it. We don't start opioids unless it's going to keep them out of the emergency room. We use all the other adjuvant medications. We monitor them closely. We educate them. And as soon as they're not getting better, the trajectory is not improving or has plateaued in their improvement, we order imaging tests if indicated, and we treat them minimally invasively. Think of it, Hans. You and I have every tool short of surgery to treat musculoskeletal pain. Why aren't we seeing these patients right off? Well, it's just a t- traditional model that uh, they go to the ER or urgent care or their family doctor, but they got to wait 48 hours. So, yeah, I will go to the ER, chick-ching, and uh, the ER gives them some take-home materials. And why don't you call the orthopedist or why don't you call so-and-so? And there's very little follow-up on that, but they're hurting more and more and more. So the forest fire is getting a little out of control. Oh, I, I, I know this is exa- that's exactly what we're trying to change. We are really getting into subacute pain. We have 
pamphlets. It's all of our website, which is painchicago.com, www. Obviously, and we have a commitment to all patients and all primary care doctors, subacute care people taking care of you know the acute care uh, locations, emergency rooms. We'll get that patient in within 72 hours, and we chose 72 hours because that is the CDC guidelines, and there's pressure on doctors not to prescribe a large amount of opioids, but we know not everybody's pain goes away in just a couple of days, and they're going to need care, and this is an opportunity for an interventional pain physician to see those patients and get them in, and we've structured our whole office to get folks in to triage, to be more like a MASH unit than a chronic pain uh, office, and uh, we're not perfect, you know, but we're getting there. We give out our phone numbers to everybody. I, exp- let, I want doctors to text me if they have somebody they want to get in. I get texts all the time, which I just forward to my staff, and they call the patient. That's great. You know, this sensitized nervous system can happen very rapidly. And yes. patients don't appreciate it. You know, we're all different. And if if some people get a paper cut, well, it may not just be a paper cut to them. It's the beginning of CRPS. But others, exactly. they could take a hammer to the end of their thumb, and it's a musculoskeletal injury that takes a month to get better. That is that's exactly right. It's so inter-individual. It's probably, you know, it's probably the genome, you know. Some people, yep, you're right. you know, everybody gets hurt, and there's three trajectories you're going to take. You're either going to get, slowly get better, and the pain will disappear, or you're going to slowly get better, and the, the pain will plateau at some level, or you're going to stay the same, or it's going to get worse, actually. That's four things. Pain, interventional pain management doctors need to treat three of those four patients. They need to treat the patients who don't improve in the time that you, that you would expect them to. Yeah, and so availability is is absolute paramount. And you're paramount. In a, you're in a metropolitan area that can capitalize on your expertise, but unfortunately, most Americans in pain don't have that same access to care. So, what would you tell somebody that may live in rural Kansas that's involved in an auto accident? They've got some neck pain, but they don't know where to turn. Well, I would just I would just caution them go to go ahead to the orthopedic doctor's office, do the conservative care with that doctor because that's probably the closest access you'll have. But as soon as they start talking about surgery, look for other options. Or if you're in too much pain and they're not treating it appropriately, look for other options. And hopefully, there'll be a pain management doctor like Dr. Hansen or somebody else who really understands this stuff and will take it seriously and will get an imaging when appropriate and get you an interventional treatment when you need it. Uh, you know, yep. There's only two doctors that treat the source of the pain, us and surgeons. And you always want uh, to you want to exhaust all of our options before you go to surgery for that, any kind of pain. That's exactly right. And that's the thing. When you only have uh, a hammer in the toolkit, everything's a nail. So if you don't think you're getting the options, or we talk about the differential diagnosis is not explored, all the potential causes for your neck pain in this case, um, you're going to need to expand. Don't hesitate asking your doctor for other more, um, I guess, contemporary options. Don't hesitate. You're not offending them. Oh, and people just don't know that we exist, Hans. Doctors are, you know, we're all in a way dentists where you're, you're just you're in your office and some doctors do more CME than others and some are just not just doing things the way they've always done it. As soon as the patient's hurting, you send them to an orthopedic doctor. They're not even aware that we exist. They're not aware that this field 
which has dramatically changed in the past 20 years, is here in that we can treat that pain without surgery very effectively and, and incredibly safely as well. That's very important. And you, you kind of drove that point home. If you go to a surgeon and you get surgery, you can't take it back. And a lot of folks hear of stories after surgery, well, I, I thought I was going to get better. I thought I was going to fix the problem. Well, um, not necessarily. Uh, it's, it's so true, and especially spine surgery, especially spine surgery, all surgery for musculoskeletal pain, but especially spine surgery. You've got so many joints in your spine and so many nerves coming off the spinal cord, and you've got the spinal cord itself. The last thing you want to be doing for one of these, you know, pain is inflamed joints and nerves. Those are the structures in our body that cause chronic pain 99% of the time. You really think taking a knife to an inflamed joint or nerve is the way to go? There's a lot of surgeries I don't think will be being done 10, 20 years from now. I really believe that. And when when our society's dug up thousands of years from now, they're going to see these these fusion patients, these 25-year-olds who have metal on their back, and they're going to go, what strange ritual was this? I know. And they're going to they'll also see these silicone bags on people and going, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. I got that. Well, I I tell you what, you you talk a lot about uh, interventional procedures and putting the needle in the right place. For the right reason, of course. So why don't you comment a little bit about uh, one of your passions? And that's putting it right where it needs to be. Well, subacute care and patient safety, those are my two passions. Uh, We talked about subacute care, but the patient safety issues, we we as a society and as, as a field, we hold ourselves out as the safest approach to treat pain. Everything we do can be made safe. There are some things we can't prevent, such as infection. You can do everything right by the book, and a person can get an infection. But anything that's preventable, we have to prevent. And there is one procedure we do very commonly called a transframal epidural steroid injection, coming in from the side using x-ray guidance and get, trying to get the medicine right in one of the openings coming off the, off the uh, vertebral canal because it works really well. Unfortunately, this one procedure does have risk and has the risk of paralysis. Yeah, and that's a big word for people. So it, they hear this stuff in the lay literature or uninformed people. I know somebody that got paralyzed. Actually, they probably don't know that person. It's a lot more uh, uncommon than led to believe, especially with the regular interlaminar epidural. But this type of epidural, yeah, it can happen. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's exactly right, Hans. They're, they're, the interlaminar epidural, when we come in from behind, rare, rare risk of paralysis. Somebody might not have any risk factors and might have an epidural hematoma causing paralysis or infection. With the transframinals, it's a different story because when you do a transframinal, you're putting the needle in an area of the spine where all of the blood supply to the the spinal cord from your mid-chest down is flowing through an artery that's at at maximum 1.05 millimeters in diameter. Think of that size. Our needles that we use to put in there are almost the same size. And so we have to avoid that uh, area of the foramen at all costs. We know where in the foramen that artery is. Unfortunately, the people who invented the procedure the way it's currently performed by most people did not factor in the vascularity of the spinal cord when they originally did that, and we need to change the standard of care. Well, what are you talking about? There's a safe triangle. Isn't that the terminology that's used? Yeah, and that is almost the most saddest, tragic issue of this. They named their procedure 
the technique of doing a transramble, put it in the safe triangle. And unfortunately, their safe triangle mirrors the exact location where this big art, where this big amount of blood, this very important vital artery, which is very small, travels right in through the safe triangle. And there's another triangle in the foramen called Kamen's triangle where the artery has never been found. And that's what we're trying to change the standard of care so that folks will avoid the safe triangle, which is not the safe triangle, and go to Kamen triangle. you got to spell that. K-A-M-B-I-N. Correct. I love that. Um, you know, you're the, you're the guy that has spent a lot of time at uh, meetings convincing people, hey, there's another way. And the safe triangle may not be so safe. But there's also this other big artery, and that's the artery of Amdankiewicz. There's a name, huh? Um, so how does that play into it? Well, the artery of Adam Cavich is one of the arteries that goes to the spinal. That's the one I'm talking about. That's the one single artery that goes in the frame. It's a little bigger than the other radicular medullary arteries that are all found in the superior anterior foramen. But this one artery anastomoses with the anterior spinal artery, and that's the important That's It's a... It's a uh, it's it's like the oh what do they call those arteries that are, whether uh, you know that when an artery is a if you stop the blood flow through that artery it's a mess it's, it's a, a watershed a, yeah, watershed, watershed yeah, artery uh, events, so like that. so if you interrupt blood flow through that artery you're gonna cause paralysis to a patient and this procedure endangers that artery when you do it in the safe triangle and it's not embolism that's my whole point it's possibly damaging the artery we now have two cases known cases of patients that were given steroids that have no particles in them and they were still paralyzed by this procedure are there any out there with just local anesthetic no there are not however I want to also, the proof behind the fact that the, it's local damage was the case report by Leiters in 2009 in the American Journal of Neuroradiology where they, this is the only case where a patient was paralyzed where they went to try to do an angiogram. They tried to cannulate the radicular medullary artery, the artery of Adam Cabbage, that, would have, that was injured by that procedure. They could not cannulate it, and it was because of clot, muscle spasm, and intimal flap. And that's in the article. So embolism may be a mechanism of injury, but we have no proof of that. We do have proof that there is a local mechanism of injury as well. Remember, the needle and the artery are very similar in size. In some cases, the needle is going to be bigger than the artery of Adam Cavage. So the procedure uh, sounds scary, but in well-trained hands is made much, much safer. But the risk-reward-benefit has to be weighed in every patient. However, in a very experienced individual such as yourself, you take precautions and you use certain solutions to help us identify where the injectate's going to go, right? Well, exactly. I mean, we follow all this. If you do everything safely, putting a needle behind the disc, which is the infraneural Kamen's triangle technique, becomes as safe as putting a needle in somebody's shoulder because you're nowhere near a watershed artery. We have to avoid interaction with that watershed artery. And then we still will inject contrast and do everything right, but then you just want to make sure you're not in a vein because you want, to, you want your solution to be effective. And if it flows away in a vein, it's not going to help the inflamed nerve. That's the only reason I inject contrast now, because I'm not near an artery that's going to be uh, dangerous if I, uh, if I pierce it. Yeah, I've done a lot of these before, and it's, there's nothing like it. You put the contrast in, and you look up on the screen, 
and you just watch it go away. It's kind of like watching a, a leaf uh, go right down a river. And, uh, well, <laughs> there, there would have gone my medicine. Oh, exactly. And, and, I, and I want to tell you, you know, when I, I mean, the reason I am so passionate about this, and you may have mentioned this already, is that I paralyzed the patient in 2001. And this was, you know, this, this affected everybody. And obviously the patient, most of all, and their family. But it affected me too, and uh, the guilt, the oh, the know. horror, the the wondering what happened. It was just it was just awful. And then going through the trial and whatnot. But I'll tell you, when I did that procedure and injected the contrast, everything was perfect. There was no dye disappearing. I can show you the pictures. Everything looked perfect. That's why I got interested in the fact that this may not be embolism. That may be me- mechanism of injury is intimal flap. Mm-hmm. And things like that damage the artery. That's true. Um, I think we're really good at, at what we're doing now, and we're well educated and oriented. And uh, hats off to you for you know educating other physicians. And it, the trauma of uh, of a lawsuit is unbelievable, and it's somewhat designed to be that way to wear you down. Yeah. But you got through it, and. Um, and I think the world's a little safer because you're such a great educator. Uh, that is so nice of you to say, and I, I just wish I got more of an opportunity to, to do it. And I, of course, would like to legislate this. I would like Dr. Manchicotti to go out and say ACIP no longer performs, recommends performing the safe triangle. But that might be a step too far because, unfortunately, people are still doing it because the incidence of, in, of the spinal cord infarct is so low. It's low, but I think it's a tip of the iceberg. Again, there's 20 cases in the literature. I'm aware of 15 others. Last year when I spoke at the meeting, five people in the audience had paralyzed the patient. I think, I think there's a lot more paralysis cases than we're even aware of. I think there is, too. I think, I think there's a lot of settlements out there that are real quiet. Yes. And the anesthesia uh, folks have what's called a closed claims settlement where some of that data doesn't come out directly. It comes out indirectly. Not trying to be dishonest. I mean, it's, it's academic in nature, but the awareness is, I think, now uh, a, a big wave of, uh, of knowledge that uh, is going through our specialty. Well, and, and again, I... I really, really want our our society to come out in a little more forceful way about this issue, but I can't force anybody to do it because the biggest obstacle right now is that all the fellow people, all the fellowship uh, positions, the eighty some pain fellowships, they're all teaching the safe triangle to, still. They are. I mean, I, I interview guys, I talk to people at meetings. They're still everybody's teaching the safe triangle. Everybody thinks they're doing it the way it's supposed to be done and they haven't kept up on the latest literature that's the problem with these with these academic institutions sometimes they think it's their way or the highway that's true and you, okay you brought it up how many do you uh, fellows do you think they're being trained in interventional pain in the united states Ooh, I, do you have that number? I don't. I think it's pretty low, considering how many people actually do this procedure. And that's why we do these workshops. Uh, ASIP does these workshops and cadaver workshops, is to try to get everybody on the same page. And you go to those, and you see there's variability in interventional uh, physicians. Oh, and, you know, it, it was kind of eye-opening. I, I kind of thought everybody was like me and did, you know, as soon as they could, they did as many cadaver labs as possible and learned as much about it. But there is a significant variability between the knowledge bases of the people, of the doctors that we see. Yeah, so be a consumer, everybody. Get out there. This is not necessarily a 
medical advice show, of course. What this is is an educational uh, VISTA where we can hopefully take uh, a knowledge base of somebody that really gets it uh, and help the consumer understand the questions to ask. You have to ask these questions. Is this a, a, a midline epidural? Is this a transferaminal? What are the risks and what are the benefits? What are some of the other risks? Uh, you know, the beauty of what we do is there aren't that many risks. There, you could injure a nerve. I mean, in well-trained hands, again, that should never happen. But the needle is going towards the nerve. If the nerve is pierced and injected into, there could be chronic pain, chronic neurologic deficit. There's a possibility of injuring the spinal cord. But again, in well-trained hands, using fluoroscopy, that shouldn't happen, right? Right, exactly. So, okay, that's the key. Uh, do you use x-ray? Uh, well, how many of these have you done? Um, have you had problems? Um, what are my options? Because, you know, I, I say bleeding, infection, nerve damage, stroke, seizure, death. I say that. But let me put that in perspective for my patients. I, I say the risk of infection, we take that into account. Yeah, it can happen. But we, we prepare your skin and we use aseptic technique or sterile technique. And then we advance under local anesthetic. It shouldn't be that uncomfortable. Really, the most uncomfortable part is at the, the nociceptive elements at the surface of the skin. Most of the subcutaneous tissues are the muscles and the deeper tissues. You really don't need to anesthetize. So an experienced guy like you, Scott, you're not going to be throwing tons of local anesthetic around that nerve, and we get the feedback if we're tickling it. That's right. And uh, everything you said about the infection is correct. Uh, if you're working in the neck, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, there is a possibility of a stroke. And, again, I don't, I don't know what else to say because this is just such basic you know, pain management for, for guys like you and I have been doing it for years. But you just don't inject unless you know exactly where you are. So, in other words, you want to go to a doctor who you trust, who you respect, who's board certified, and who this is a, this is a major part of their practice, not just a hobby. Right. So, um, also, folks... Tell your doctor if you're on a blood thinner. We've oh, got yeah. to know that. And coming off the blood thinner is a risk-reward, right? Exactly. You're balancing two risks, and you, you need a long discussion about all those issues. And most, a lot of our procedures, Hans, you can leave a person on the blood thinner because that just means they're going to get a, bear, a bigger bruise, but it doesn't mean it's going to be dangerous. The bruise won't be near the spinal cord. But there are some procedures that you have to be, your clotting mechanisms have to be back to total normal, which, again, puts somebody at risk who has an, who's on a blood thinner for a reason. Yep, although it's pretty rare um, that these things can happen, but please don't take it upon yourself to come off that blood thinner. You have to have permission from the person that put it on you, and also the interventional physician and the nurse should know how long it's been um, out of your system, and it may take a while. Well, the most confusing thing now is the plethora of blood thinners that are on the market. It used to be Coumadin and heparin, mm -hmm. and that was about it. Now, however, they have many, many blood thinners that we can't even measure their effects, so we're kind of just guessing how long is safe based on the pharmacokinetic profile. But it's a little nerve-wracking, to be honest for you, yeah. don't you think? I'm still learning. But there are, um, there are guidelines on how long you should be off them, but 
you know, the risk reward benefit, the risk of a stroke or the risk of a blood clot in the leg, is that worth an elective procedure? So that's a conversation you have to have with your interventionalist. Exactly. Okay. What else is your passion? Anything else? That's about it. I mean, I love my business. I, I want to hire new young doctors and educate them. I, we've hired a new one out of Northwestern, Dr. Oh, Scott great. McDaniel. The That's guy's fantastic. Program. And he's implanting all our stimulators now. It's, it's, it's so nice not to have to send them to Rush and have them do it. Uh-huh. I just don't. I never got into the permanent implantation. But we do, you know, 100 trials. Uh, I, I don't know. Between Dr. Goodman and Dr. McDaniel, I think we're doing... 10, 15, 20 trials a, a month now. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and it's, but it's the, you know, there's so many, let's talk about stimulation. My God, this is a great field. There's five companies now doing it. And more coming. And more coming. <laughs> and and the, the, the competition between those companies has given us this option for pain that we can't treat or that we can't, or we can find the source, but it's untreatable or it's, it's, it's a type of pain that's not treatable, like neuropathy. Now we have this wonderful technique for treating pain. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for us to practice, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're learning about HF10, we're lear- uh, which is the kind of newer thought. We're learning about, uh, like you said, these stimulators that attack the two primary causes of pain that we see, uh, neuropathic pain and nociceptive and we're learning about uh, some of these new technologies. There's thin as a wire that uh, receive uh, their energy through the skin. So it's cool, and it's all coming. And I guess that's a whole podcast in itself, but it's neat. It is, and I won't go on about it, but it's just this is a great time to be in, in pain management. Even, even with everything that's going on, the government and, and reduced payments and regulations, even with all that, if we can just keep our heads above water, it's a fun time to be a pain doctor and an independent physician. Yeah, okay, we'll keep our heads above the water. And I really uh, think it's ter- terrific you came on board again. I don't want to make it a year. I want to talk to you again. I know. So how do people get a hold of you? Uh, my cell phone number is 630-788-1355. Please that? reach out to me anytime, and my email is sglazer at painchicago.com. Website's www.painchicago.com. Call me anytime. So there's a doctor that gave out a cell phone, and that's dedication. So uh, we appreciate you on, and let's make it again real soon. Thanks, Hans. I really, really appreciate it. You're a great guy. Thanks. Like that? Yeah, that's more corporate. Thanks, Scott. It was really great having you on. And the fun thing about this open-ended conversation is we just had it wherever we could have it. And when we're at these meetings, we tend to want to pick each other's brains. So check the website, ASIPP.org. Go to any of these meetings, and I guarantee you're going to come away enriched. The interaction between your peers is fantastic, and I... I hope everybody feels that we're really approachable. And I feel that way. You just come up to us at any time and, uh, you know, throw something by us. And there's nothing better than peer-peer interaction. Well, anyway, we're going we're gonna to be back. And I look forward to hearing from you. And we'll probably see, what, in a week or two or something like that. There's the birds.